0: All right. Well, thanks for joining our conversation today. My name is Annabelle Norman and I serve as an associate partner here at DHR International, which is a top 10 global executive search firm. We've got over 40 offices worldwide. I've recently launched our Chasing the Consumer series, which will highlight innovative thought leaders and executives within the broader consumer and retail space. Um, Obviously, we live in a world today where consumer behavior and data changes daily, if not hourly, and where content and data drive every decision. Um, My hope with chasing the consumer is to highlight thought leaders and innovators across industry who have a consistent track record of staying ahead of the consumer that can share their unique thought processes and intellect that has resulted in serial success throughout their careers. Um, when, watching the, when launching this podcast, I thought about some individuals in my network that met this criteria of staying ahead of the consumer, and those who bring a formulaic track record of success career-wise. One of those individuals is Michael McNeil, who I've not only gotten to know on a professional level, but also on a personal level. Michael has built a formidable reputation in the beauty industry as a leader within social media and consumer engagement and marketing as a whole. Um, Michael, thank you for joining us today. Um, I'm thrilled you have, you know, we have the opportunity to learn a little bit more about you and for you to share some of your ingenuity with us all. Um, you know, I'll let you take the floor and give, give us um, a high level overview of your career and role today at Huda Beauty.
1: Of course. Well, thanks for having me. It's uh, really exciting to be able to connect digitally with everybody. And I think it's a cool, really cool idea that, you know, you're bringing forth with, with this podcast. So thanks for, for having me and thinking of me. I'm very excited. Uh, So I'm Michael McNeil, people just call me Mike, and uh, I have been in the beauty industry for many, many years now, well well over a decade more than I would care to uh, admit because I'm getting a little (laughs) little older, but uh, I started my career actually marketing uh, in an agency I worked uh, in a consumer packaged goods marketing and branding agency. Um, right through college, actually, It's a really great, uh, really great agency that's still around called Brandscape Atelier. They're uh, based in Philadelphia now. Uh, and then uh, after getting kind of like you know cutting my teeth a little bit on some consumer package goods, uh, I knew some really amazing people at Anastasia Beverly Hills, including uh, the founder Claudia, and their current uh, their current uh, marketing head. Her name is uh, Merrick Catherine Mellon, and they brought me on. Uh, and in 2011, so I was at Anastasia Beverly Hills hills from 2011 to 2016 right kind of in all of the explosive growth uh and we were able to do amazing things there with a very very small but mighty marketing team um instagram was born uh, under that team our influencer program uh, as it's known today was born under that team we called it a blogger program at the time uh and i was there through some really really kind of like fun wild insane times where the entire beauty industry and the way we marketed products in the beauty industry changed. Um, It was, you know, very traditional as before you had a lot of big players and Anastasia Beverly Hills. we, We were so lucky to be on the forefront of that because I think we were one of the first really digitally disruptive beauty brands that was able to kind of like cut through the ether and say, Hey, we're here. And we don't need like massive budgets. We don't need national ad campaigns. We don't need, you know, kind of six and seven, even sometimes figure spend when it comes to um, advertisement and we can really connect with our um, with our clients, with our consumers, with our audiences in a new way. So I was there uh, for for quite a long time, got my, what I joke about, my PhD in beauty. Uh, and then I went to a company called eSalon, which does bespoke hair care and hair color to really kind of dig deep in what it meant to do e-commerce in a really, really like full scale, full 360 way. Uh, I was very, we were very good, at, I think PR, very good at uh, social media at Anastasia. And ecom was something that I really wanted to dig into. So uh e-salon was founded by the former heads of Price Grabber uh, and they were acquired by Experian and they got into this really interesting kind of personalization aspect of beauty. And I was there um, helping them out for about a year until I was tapped uh, to kind of head up marketing and sales for a really beautiful kind of niche uh, prestige slash luxury band makeup company called Jouet. I was at Jouet for about two and a half years where we expanded sales um, uh, about by about almost 2,000% to be honest. In two years, we built all of their digital programs, rebranded, did their website. Um, and created their social media program as well. Had tremendous success and we were lucky enough to actually um, reopen Jouer back in Sephora in 2018, I believe it is. Um, and I went from Jouet to lead up uh, Milani Cosmetics, their, their digital marketing Milani, and kind of get them prepped for acquisition, which we did <laughs> in record time. Um, and now I'm here at Huda Beauty. And I've been at Huda Beauty for just over two years now. Uh, so I up their I'm the head of their North American marketing. I'm also the head of their global influencer and communications programs. Uh, and we are uh, lucky enough to say that, you know, through all of 2019 and through all of 2020, we've been on a really strong growth trajectory um, we have been named the most influential and most in-demand beauty brand not once but twice by the Cosmify Index. Uh, we're typically ranked uh, top five and top ten in all of our categories by Tribe Dynamics. So it's a really beautiful brand uh, led by really beautiful people. Huda Katan, Mona Katan and Alia Katan are some of the nicest founders and the just most genuinely good people I've ever had the fortune to work with. And here I am and I'm lucky to kind of be on this, this roller coaster with everybody.
0: Well, they're lucky to have you. I think there's there's no question about that. I
1: appreciate that.
0: Um, so in light of COVID, Michael, if, if you don't mind, and I always call you Michael, I know that you go by <laughs> so I apologize.
1: Yeah, um, okay. <laughs> <Anything you want.
0: laughs> We've seen tremendous changes with regards to consumer behavior. Um, and out of curiosity, have you seen that with Hoda? And you know, do you anticipate that behavior of that consumer to kind of consistently stay that way as we go into 2021 and hopefully get ahead of COVID?
1: Yeah. So I think with people who are like kind of like really juiced into kind of what's happening in the beauty community, what's happening in skincare, what's happening in color, I don't necessarily know if COVID in terms of changing, if covid Um, created new beauty, new beauty kind of um, behaviors. I think COVID just accelerated what we already thought. If you kind of had your finger on the pulse, Mm -hmm. you already kind of saw it happening and you kind of saw a shift into skincare. You kind of saw a shift into kind of, um, you know, to use a phrase from the 90s, like everyday makeup, you know what I mean? Like, like kind of like this kind of like softer and, you know, still like heavy on expression, but kind of lighter on coverage, lighter on on glitter and things like that. So we kind of saw it coming already, but COVID just, I think, really accelerated what, you know, people were already leaning into. People were already leaning into their skin. And of course, you know, unfortunately, with everybody in quarantine or lockdowns, you know, all over the globe, they're going to go in and say, okay, well, if I don't have to put on as much makeup as maybe I normally would, because I'm not going into an office, I'm not going into like a board meeting, or I'm not even really going to work in store, what I am going to do is I'm going to focus on getting the best skin I possibly can, and then The color cosmetics are kind of like the icing on that cake, right? Like you still see heavy, not heavy, heavy complexion, but you still see a lot of complexion use. You still see mascara, you still see transfer proof lip to some degree, Um, but it was really just kind of an intensification of of this move to um, a little bit of a lighter application of makeup that we were already seeing.
0: That's amazing. Um, And I think that that's, you know, a really great way to put it. Um, And out of curiosity, I mean, to date, it seems like Prestige Beauty as a whole is down because, right, they are trending away from some of these more trends that were prevalent in the past, um, which a lot, I'm sure, was due to COVID. Perhaps it's um, part of, you know, consumer behavior. Um, However, it seems like you guys are still performing very well in lieu of this. What would you attribute that to?
1: Um, A fantastic, fantastic team and a fantastic set of products and... Um, and a founder who's really kind of like juiced in as well. You know, the, the entire marketing team, digital marketing team, content creation team, um, we are pretty ravenous when it comes to the type of, of content that we consume. Um, I, I can say with a lot of confidence and a lot of passion that everybody on the hooded beauty team, particularly in product development and marketing, is not just there because, oh, this is our job and this is what we do, we're there because, first and foremost, we're active content consumers in real life, we're active cosmetics consumers in real life. And we really live and breathe the industry before we even go to work. And that's part of the kind of secret, you know, the secret or the secret sauce or the magic, as you can say, where, you know, how we're kind of staying ahead of the curve at Hoodie Beauty is really because we've already been studying this curve and we've been living this curve um, for two years. And, you know, it's no secret that, you know, the, um, they I think a lot of uh, trade <laughs> trade publications called it, you know, the prestige cosmetics bubble in the United States, right? And, you know, to some point it's true, if you look at a lot of brands out there, and by the way, like. Fantastic, amazing brands with with some of the highest quality product in the world, um, you know, and some of that some of that did burst just because consumers are, um, you know, they're interested in new and novel forms. But uh, at Huda, part of the magic is really that we're really in with our community and we really have like real conversations with them. And as such, we're able to have um, kind of like our finger on the pulse of what's going to excite them, even in changing behaviors, you know, what do they want to hold on to and what do they want to move into not only this year, but next year. And that's really the secret. It's, um, it's not really about business. It's actually about what you find personally entertaining on a team. And if you can just bring that personal entertainment that you already know and love into work, everything kind of shakes everything shakes out well because you've already had these conversations in your personal life online. So if you just kind of bring that real life um, that real life experience into the office, things work, are working out and that's kind of uh, how we do it at Hoda Beauty. And it's so far so good. And that's kind of how we've always done it at every company that I've ever worked for. So we've been lucky enough to kind of, you know, ride the waves and then also kind of create new trends
0: which is amazing. Um, And, you know, you kind of touched on this in your, in your last dialogue. I mean, with regards to content, I feel like everyone kind of has their own perception of what content is, how they see that and and really what it means today. Out of curiosity, what does content mean to you?
1: So I think there's like a fundamental kind of like argument that, you know, everybody's like content is king, content is king, content is king. And to me, that doesn't go far enough. Um, Actually, you know, uh, at Huda Beauty, we talk about ourselves. We're really a multimedia company that happens to sell makeup as part of the take home of it. And that is the distinct difference between, I think, us and other cosmetics companies. And it's actually something that Huda kind of coined herself as well, like her and I were having a conversation in a big group one day. And she kind of like came up with this vibe and we, everybody just kind of ran with it, but it's, it's true. Content is, not, is really your most important product. And the actual consumer package goods that you make are really just the take-home aspects of people aligning with your, per, your, your personal brand philosophy, They're the take-home aspects of people aligning to what they see you talk about, what they see you care about, what you teach them. Um, you know, for us, an eyeshadow palette isn't an eyeshadow, just an eyeshadow palette. An eyeshadow palette represents um, how we make people feel. And that is where it starts in like the content. And it's the same reason why people will wear a Nike sweatshirt or they'll wear Louboutin shoes, right? It's, it's a symbolization of kind of who you are and how you feel beyond what you're wearing. And that's how we view makeup. So it's a, it's a bit of a different kind of than a lot of other makeup companies where they look at it as problem solution or they go one step further and they say, oh, this is about personal expression, which is true. But we kind of take it one layer on top of that. And we kind of bring it to a little bit more of a philosophical level.
0: Which is honestly, I think, phenomenal. And I think if more companies outside of beauty thought of themselves as multimedia companies, and even these days, I think a tech company, it's really yeah. in front of, of what the consumer is looking for. Um, so, you know, obviously, staying in front of the consumer has its own challenges, and specifically with anticipating new generational shoppers. What has been your strategy with regards to Gen Z, um, and more importantly, Gen A?
1: So again, it kind of goes back to, um, it goes back to a a hallmark thing that I have said, I think, since the beginning of my career, even even when I was an agency, which it goes back to um, the language you speak to people, the language you speak to your audiences. And so many companies, you know, whether they're large or small or this or that, they have an idea, I think, of who their consumer is, and they have an idea of what message they want to bring. And that does really well, I would say for like one year or two years or maybe 18 months even. And past that, you kind of hit like a stall, right? Like, you know, a lot of companies are like, okay, well, it worked. Why isn't it, why isn't it working? Oh, well, you know what we have to do? We have to like take our, take our message, take the language that we speak and we have to just expand the audience. That doesn't really always work. And the reason it doesn't always work is because you have generational differences, right? Gen A, Gen Z, millennial, and they're all very different. However, the key to cracking that code in what we've always said on all of the marketing teams I've ever been on is speak to the audience in the language that they already speak. Don't sit there and try to overly brand, you know, brand speak to Gen A or Gen Gen Z because they don't wanna hear anything about it. They're already a little bit distrustful of brands. There's a few kind of hallmark brands that they find cool from like a social, cachet, a social cachet aspect, but everything else are a little bit like, yeah, I'm not really into this kind of like conspicuous consumerism, but where with, you know, if you get into like millennials or like Gen Y, they're a little bit, they're a lot more into that, right? So it's really about crafting your messages in the way and in the language that your audience already speaks. And I know that sounds like a very simplistic way to do it, but it's funny because I have said this in a lot of boardrooms with a lot of peers, (laughs) with a lot of very, very smart people. And for some brands, when their brand marketing is so strong, their brand identity is so bulletproof, which is not a bad thing, but they get a little flummoxed because they don't know how to translate what they've already been saying in a way that will resonate with somebody else. And, you know, I always say, I'm like, if you speak Mandarin, are you going to go on a, on a vacation to Italy and speak Mandarin and expect everybody to understand every single thing you say? And that's kind of how we pose it. So, you know, it's the same thing with marketing. You can't go to different age groups, different demographics, different, you know, people that you really want to engage with um, and then not speak in the speak the language they speak. So that's really kind of the uh, the nuts and bolts of it, kind of very high level, but it's about crafting your messages in a way that feels native and is native and is important to who you're speaking to.
0: Which is fantastic. I mean, I think that that's a really great way to look at it. And it, you know, obviously really shows how you guys have positioned yourselves for success there, right? Rather than trying to make yourself something for something else where it doesn't align to you. and pushing yourself kind of within the realm that does make sense for your consumer. Um, Last but not least, what would be your advice to those who are new graduates and are already marketers in the industry?
1: So two things. Um, If you're a new graduate and you want to get into marketing or you're brand new in the marketing industry, um, my two pieces of advice, one would be live and breathe your craft. That doesn't mean, you know, your whole life should be consumed by work. And that doesn't mean I think, you know, new marketers should overwork themselves, but you should really on a fundamental level, look at part of your craft at home, like whether you're scrolling Instagram or you're on TikTok or you're watching a YouTube video or even at the movies and it should connect fundamentally with what you do at work. You should find part of what you do at work entertaining, because then you're going to bring the best of yourself to your work. And then you can speak from authority as, you know, what resonates with consumers. Then you can speak from authority because it's what resonates with you. And that would be my first bit of kind of information is get so into it that you love it. And if you don't love it, look for something that you do love, right? Like if you don't love beauty, uh, but maybe you love cars, work, like, go get really into it, go work for a car company, but really you have to go home and live and breathe the industry that you're working in, first thing. Uh, and I see a lot of people who are young people who are just so brilliant and they haven't connected that for themselves yet. They haven't, you know, they, they, they're working at, you know, something, you know, they're working at a really amazing company, but it's just not their deep passion. So I would say, just be really honest with yourself about what you're entertained by And then go work in that field, first of all. It sounds very simple and sounds very basic, but you would be surprised how many young, brilliant people kind of never get footing and never get traction because they don't make that connection. They just, they'll go for the money or they'll go for other things. But that would be the first thing. And the second thing is, um, without trying to sound like too much like a self-help book, but really have an unabashed belief in your abilities. That doesn't mean don't listen. That doesn't mean don't take feedback. But that means take the take the feedback that's given to you, integrate it, and really have like um, like a fearless belief in what you bring to the table. Uh, I'm a little bit younger than I think other executives, you know, in kind of on my peer level in, in the industry. And for so long, I didn't believe in myself because I said to myself, well, you're a little bit younger than you really should be here. So you don't really have a seat at this table. And... I kind of kick myself now because I wonder how much um, I more I could have achieved, how many more people I could have got my message out to if I really just kind of sat there with myself and said, actually, I know these things to be true, and I know the people I work with are amazing, and I'm just going to deliver this in a way that I believe in it, they're going to believe in it, and we're going to do it together, and that would be my really like like my final bit of, you know, thing is have enough confidence to be able to work collaboratively on ideas that, that you're driving, that you come up with. So, and, and don't be afraid to have those conversations because the right team is going to embrace that as well.
0: That's amazing advice. Thank you, Michael. And thank you for your time today. I think you about so many amazing things, you know, from content to just really being authentic, both from a professional level and a brand level in a way that, will obviously translate to success. And I think your career is really, you know, indicative of that. So I'm excited to just continue to see the amazing things that you'll do at Huda. And hopefully, you know, all of us today will learn from you and and hopefully be able to bring some new tricks back to whatever field that we know we specialize for.
1: Well, absolutely. Thank you for, uh, thanks for having me. And uh, anytime, anytime you need me, I'm here.
0: Thanks, Mike.
1: Bye.